0: I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom preach the word. That's what we talked about last week. I said said that uh, Paul piles up this eternal perspective because he wants Timothy not to be dominated by the situation, not by the culture, not by the news cycle, not by what seems to be happening in culture. He wants him dominated by this eternal perspective the coming kingdom of God the kingdom of God that's the real story of human history that's the story of planet Earth that's the story of civilization the kingdom of God so he wants his his vision dominated by this the soon-coming Christ the eternal kingdom the presence of God the Lordship of Jesus the judgment seat of Christ I said it last week and it's a little extreme and yet, I think if you're honest, you'll admit it's true. Everyone in our cities will bow or they will burn. Does Jesus want that? No. Does the Father want that? No. But the choice is in the hands of each individual. What will I love? What will I serve? What will I do with my heart in this one life? And what you do with God determines your eternal destiny and so Paul wants Timothy to keep that kind of a view in 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 view in his brain and now you can preach and what do you preach do you preach what you think no you preach your opinions no you preach your culture your experience what works what you read in a psychology book You preach what you were taught in your church growing up, maybe, if it's the Word. Preach God's proclamation, God's announcement, God's facts, God's heart, God's truth. And so he says why to preach in view of all this. He says what to preach, the Word, and he says how to preach. And I say he says how because there's a tone to this. There's an urgent, reverent, serious tone to this. Now, you guys know I'm goofy, right? You know I'm weird. You know I have a sense of humor. I personally believe Jesus was a lot of fun to be with. But if you cut Jesus open and you look inside his heart, you will find he was 100% serious about God and people. That does, being serious about God and people doesn't mean you're not fun to be with. It doesn't mean you don't have a sense of humor. But it means that if you cut me open, what's going on is I bleed. I'm here for Jesus and people. I'm not here to waste my life on myself. You want to have a miserable life? Do you know what will make for your life to be horribly miserable? Self indulgence. Do what you feel like doing, and you'll be miserable. Eat as many donuts as you want, you'll be miserable. Play as many video games as you want, you'll be miserable. Sleep in as late as you want, you'll be miserable. Sleep with who you want, you'll be miserable. Do the right thing when you feel like it, you'll be miserable. Self-indulgence is the path to hell on earth. Pleasing Jesus is the opposite of self-indulgence. It means sometimes I'm gonna do the thing that feels good, sometimes a little bit, at the end of a long day of hard work maybe, and then it'll be sweet. The sleep of the laborer is sweet. There's, there's got to, in other words, fun is great. Fun is important. But when you cut a Christian open, there ought to be a reverence and an awe and a seriousness at the core of who we are. I'm not here, I'm not here to treat godly, godliness like, okay, that's fine, whatever. I'll, whatever the minimum. There's an insurance company called Muncie Insurance. And they even advertise, hey, we're the cheapest insurance. We help you get legally covered. Some people, that's their Christianity. They want the least amount of godliness they can to get to heaven. You know what that reveals? A wicked heart. A wicked. Muncie's wicked. Sorry, Muncie, we didn't mean it that way. Do you know what a heart that's truly born again wants? It wants more of God. It wants to fellowship with God. It wants to please the Lord. It wants to know Jesus. It wants to prioritize knowing him in everyday life. Somebody recently talked to me about their friends. It was you guys. You said, we got some friends. And when they're not in church, their language is bad and their behavior is bad, and they look at us like we're weird. They say, come on, man, we ain't in church. Let your hair down. Yes, Gabe, your hair is down. I would just like to point out that in the ancient world, I've given this some thought. You know, there's a passage that says it's a a woman's glory to have long hair, and it's a shame for a man to have long hair. But in the culture that that was written, shoulder length was considered not long. Butt length was considered long. So you women got to be growing your hair out longer. And you men could let it down a little more, I'm just saying. (laughs) Calm down. Get back on the point. (laughs) Yeah, do you want to see a bald man with a mullet? You don't. Because that's what would grow out of this head. You don't want to see that. (laughs) Which confirms my theory, right, Micah? If you're a white, 16-year-old, Sussex County, baseball-playing boy you got a mullet. It's just my theory in 2022. It'll probably be different in a few years. Okay. My point is when you cut a believer open, yes, we have fun. Yes, we're joyful. Yes, we're positive. Yes, we have a sense of humor. Yeah, we know how to hang out and enjoy life and eat good food and dance at the party. Yes, we know how to do all that. But when you cut us open, there's an earnest, urgent seriousness at the core of our being. I'm here to do God's will. That's what's inside of a believer, a real believer, someone who genuinely is born again. When we're in sin, guys, it, cr- it crushes our soul. I mean a real believer. When a real believer is caught in a transgression, they are grieved. If your sin has stopped grieving you, something has gone horribly wrong. Yes. If your fellowship with God has stopped thrilling you, something has gone horribly wrong. Okay, all that was just me piggybacking on the urgency of Paul in this text. I charge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who's to judge the living and the dead. It's, it's Un, it's, it's not on un, totally unpreached, but it's largely unpreached. I want to, to describe real briefly the season of church life that some of us seem to think we're in, versus the season we're in. The season it seems like we think we're in is the season of there, there, you're incredible. I know you're addicted to 15 deadly things, but there's no condemnation in Christ. You're a sweetheart, baby. Aren't you the best thing to ever happen to God's kingdom? That seems to be the season we think we're in. But that's not the season we're in. The season we're in is it's the time for the church to wake up and walk in the fullness of the hope and holiness and power that God's word is actually practical and helpful and we can walk. I'm not talking about being sinlessly perfect, but I'm talking about living in victory. I'm talking about we can walk where we have genuine joy and peace in the midst of a world that might not have joy and peace right now. Gas prices going completely skyrocketing. Above five, if you'd have said three years ago they're going to be above five bucks, how many of you would have been like, oh, sure, yeah, that makes sense. That happened quick. The price of food, high. Building materials, high. You name it the price has gone up, and the value of the dollar gone down. Guys, this is a perfect time for the Christians to shine with peace and joy. It's also a perfect time for us to realize what's, what we're rooted in. Because if we're rooted in fear, we will have our eyes and our mind fixed on what is wrong. And if we are grateful people, we will have our eyes fixed on what is right. Am I, am, I, am I saying crazy stuff? Or is this actually doable? We can walk in peace and joy. Even though one day we'll lie down and die, and they'll put us in a hole in the back and then go back in the church and smile and eat potato salad. And we can still live and die with peace, hope, and joy. Can we live with peace, hope and joy? I think the season we're in is a season of let's wake up. Let's wake up, and let's elevate the level of our grasp of the, of the thing that's available right here and now in our walk with God. Okay, next little chunk, just continuing. Second Timothy chapter four, verse two: B. By B, I mean the second half of verse 2. Preach the word, now continuing the verse. Be ready, look at this, in season and out of season. Oh, man. That's helpful. You ever been going through life just trying to please the Lord and you feel like it's not working? You ever been sowing seeds with people and they don't seem receptive? You ever just trying to please the Lord and it seems like two steps forward? Well, I was going to say one step back, but we'll go with three. (laughs) There are favorable seasons. Do you know what it feels like to be in a season of favor? It's like every every light is green. You ever hit every light green and you're like, what? Some of us are like, I deserve to hit every light green. (laughs) It's It's called entitlement. And then you have unfavorable seasons. Every door is closed. Not not every, okay, there's my illness language. It seems like, there we go. Yeah. This is the conversation Jen and I keep having about. It seems like, it feels like every door is closed in unfavorable seasons. Your name suddenly has low stock, low value in the market of social opinion. What happened? They used to love me. Now they don't. <gasps> oh, no, the phone didn't ring. Nobody likes me. Quote, unquote, nobody. There we go. More allness language. Catastrophizing. I had to teach just one whole sermon on catastrophizing and allness language. Follow up to the powerful talk that Rusty and Linda gave on Wednesday about the power of our words and how important it is for our words to agree with God's words and therefore, for that to happen, we have to let God's words seep so down deep into our spirit that we know what God says. Not think it, not kind of believe it, not sign our name to the bottom of a statement. But when, when life happens to us, that's what comes out. When life, most of us are nice people, but then when we go through something that squeezes us hard enough, what comes out of us is not nice. Do you agree with what I just said? When God's Word has seeped all the way down into our spirit, then when stuff happens to us, that's what comes out of us. You know what I'm talking about? To where the automatic response under pressure is, thank God you're with us. Instead of, this always happens to me. These dang kids... Look at the floor. It's just so much easier to whine and complain than take responsibility for the state of affairs that we have cultivated in our metron. Do you know what a metron is? It's your area of responsibility God has given you. I, I, if you visit Menno Chup and you look at his garden and then you go visit Tim Miller... And you look at his not garden, because I've given up. There's no garden. We have raspberries, and you know why we have raspberries? Because they can't be killed, and they just keep spreading. We have mint tea from Carl. You know why we have mint tea? Because it won't die, and it just keeps spreading. We have a wonderful grapevine, which I do prune diligently. And Carl's trying to train me how. And it is totally fruitful. But you go to Menno's garden, and it's not only fruitful, it's beautiful. His soil is rich. His lines are straight. Everything is, is properly braced. That's not the word, trellised. And Carl, you know what I'm talking about. Menno's picky. Now, you could say, you could look at Menno's garden and you could say, he just has a green thumb. No, what he has is thousands of annual hours logged of learning. He knows about what bugs go after what plants in what season, and he knows what good bugs or chemicals, shh, don't tell your organic friends, will kill those bugs and not hurt his plants. And he's learned those things by getting it wrong and then making adjustments, little adjustments, thousands of hours of little adjustments. Now, his garden is fruitful. My garden, I choose not to put that much work into it. I choose store, (laughs) team grocery store. (laughs) And I have wonderful friends that are like, you want some of this? And be like, I do. The one thing I care about is tomatoes. So, (gasps) oh, ew, what in the world? We have a few this year, not many. But there's in-season and out-of-season. And sometimes the season's favorable, and sometimes the season's not favorable. We're going to get back on that meno theme, I think, in a bit. It don't tell him we talked about him. He'll be like, what? Sometimes I've thought about Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah. You remember him in the Old Testament? What's his nickname? If you run in, if you run in Bible circles, Jeremiah's nickname is the weeping prophet. Why do you suppose that is? Cry baby. Because often you find that Jeremiah basically, well, there's a few sections. I did a a paper in seminary on this one prayer he prays where he says, God, it's not fair. I I don't want to go proclaim your word to the people because I know they're going to hate me. So I said to you, God, I ain't doing it. And then what happened? Then God's word was in my bones like a fire, trapped in like a pressure cooker, just building pressure until I can't take it anymore, and I have to. So it's like I'm between a rock and a hard place. I'm between the Almighty, displeasing the Almighty on the one hand and displeasing people on the other. Why do I have to be born, he says. He said that. Why was I even born? Well, that's not a good day. That's not something you'd put in your devotional thought of the day. Let's, there's daily devotions. <laughs> Why was I even born? Meditate on that. And so he's called the weeping prophet. The people don't listen to him, so bad things happen. Then he comes to them again and says, are you ready to admit you were wrong? And they're like, we were wrong. Now do you want to obey God? Nah. Then they kidnap him and take him to Egypt. They, just his... his His life with God was a series of people not responding well while he continues to do what he should. His life was miserable, not because of his sin. His life was miserable because of other people's sin. But he was faithful. He lived in unfavorable seasons. Had he lived in a different season, we might be calling him a great revivalist, who turned a nation to the Lord. Had he lived in Elijah's days, we might have been talking about Jeremiah on the top of Mount Carmel, burning the sacrifices without lifting a finger. In fact, he would put water on them. But he lived in, well, actually, Elijah lived in horribly unfavorable times. And he was faithful too, but he was so mopey too. How come he didn't get a reputation as Mr. Mopey? God tells him, boy, you think you're all by, you're a lonesome? I got 7,000 that have never compromised one thing. You don't even know what's true. But anyway, life's hard for everyone. Sometimes we think to ourselves, something must be wrong with me. Something must unique and specially be wrong with me. And we look at other people's lives as being easier and better, and our life as being uniquely hard. And that's a lie. Life's hard for everyone. I just pity those poor people with billions of dollars. That's a joke, I'm I'm joking, I'm joking. But actually, truthfully, people with billions of dollars are often miserable. They're just miserable and rich. But I always say, if you're going to be miserable, might as well be rich. That's a joke. People relax. It's a re- relax. Actually, I kind of was want to say this. Since life is hard for everyone, we might as well do the right thing. We might as well do the right thing. See, if it's going to be hard for everyone, at least we could hold our integrity. At least we could know the Lord. At least we could live well and finish strong since everybody's going to have trouble, some kind of trouble, some kind of trial, some kind of difficulty, some kind of setback, some kind of situation where faith is required to get you through. Favorable times and unfavorable times are out of our hands. That's what we can't control. We can't control the weather. We can only control what do I do with my one heart, with my one life, with my little time on planet Earth. So Paul says in favorable times and in unfavorable times, you, you preach the word, you, you do the work of Jesus. If they love you, keep going. If they hate you, keep going. If the hours are long and the pay is bad, keep going. If everybody says you're amazing, I can't believe we get to be with you, <gasps> keep going. If they ask you for your autograph, keep going. If they just ask you for your signature while they take your stuff, keep going. <laughs> keep, keep right on trucking. Hey, that's my couch. But favorable times also create their own messes. A huge harvest is a lot of work and its own special trial and burden But most of us, I think, live lives that have a bunch of seasons. Life moves in waves, and our task is steady as she goes. A long obedience in the same direction. Living with our ears continuously tuned to heaven, not distracted and driven by what's happening on earth. The the word about in season and out of season is a cultural word. And and, and I could preach a whole sermon, and maybe we will do a Wednesday whiteboard on on this sometime on the things happening in our culture that, that right now, in this generation, in the last five, 10 years, in the last 50 years, maybe the five, 10 years accelerated, values and worldview stuff that is making our context much more unfavorable to Jesus and to church and to the Bible But that's a talk for another time. But I can tell some of you are like, well, tell me the things. Personal ethics, sexual ethics, corporate ethics, political theory, all of these come into it. All of these come into it. Social theory comes into it. Class warfare, identity politics, all of it comes into it. It's actually really kind of fun and fascinating. One cool thing is, the generation coming up right now, like the teens and 20s, they seem to care. My generation was kind of cynical. We felt very powerless to change anything. So we, we produced bands like Nirvana, where Kurt Cobain's observations are basically wah, right? And I, lo- I loved that music, if it did speak to my, it spoke m- my generation. We felt like we didn't inherit the ability to make the world better, we just inherited the mess. And I think the generation coming up right now has lots of challenges, but it smells to me like they have some sense of hope and a feeling that responsibility is, is worth trying. And just cynical detachment is not, is not the only option for people who are a little self-aware. You know, another sermon I want to preach sometime is just, please don't be cynical. Please don't be cynical. Be a geek. If you, just it'd be better to be a geek than to be cynical. Mean? Do you know what I mean by a geek someone who is joyful over little cool things? Like, look at this game that came out. This new video game. Look at this music. Look at that beach. Look at that bird. That's that's powerful and important. And if we lose that, and everything's just uh, whatever then something's wrong. Tony Campolo was in, a, was in an elevator with a little kid. He gets into an elevator. A kid gets into an elevator with him. A teenager, not a kid, but you know what I mean. To me, a kid. And he gets into an elevator. It stops. And he's looking at the doors, and the doors are not opening. And he starts to panic. He's freaking out because he's like, we're trapped in an elevator. Oh, my word. And he starts to pound on the doors, Let us out! Let us out! The elevator is locked! Let us out!" And the little kid goes, "'Sir, the door's open on this side." (laughs) And he turns around, and it's a wide-open room, and he looks at the kid, and the kid just looks... And he grabs him by the scruff of the shirt and, like, picks him up and shakes him. "'This is funny! Laugh!' And I'm like, well, that's that's scary, but... (laughs) But Tony's point was, where's the passion? I think this, this generation that the, the older ones are so cynical about actually has the potential of getting the passion back. My generation was passionately like, everything's bad. That's, but that's not helpful, right? It takes so much more grit and character to, to press on and, and Take responsibility for our Metron than it does to go, oh, the season we're in is unfavorable. How dumb is that? Like, I can make a whole blog complaining about my generation. Would that be beneficial to the church? What? I mean, it could be. It could be, it could be hilarious. <laughs> if where you notice you want to complain, you go further and actually start to train. You guys who do leadership one on ones with me you know that's my slogan. Where have you been tempted to complain lately? That's where you need to train. So we don't just stop with the level of complaint. We take responsibility for the season we're in, and we adjust our farming, we adjust our faithfulness to the season we're in. We don't just keep plugging away with our eyes closed, regardless of the season. We are alert and aware of the season we're in. I just looked online, and my, my family's doing the wheat harvest out in Kansas, and I see them... They're doing all kinds of work they don't do year-round. But right now, because of the season, they're welding things that are broken. They're irrigating things. Their combines are running. The trucks are going back to the granary. It's, this is hectic, heavy time. This is focused work. Then there's the off-season. And in the off-season, it doesn't mean there's nothing to do. It means you work on things you won't have time to do in the harvest season and in the planting season. So there's a cultural season. There's a social season. Do you know what I mean by a social season? A season when the people in your life are not listening, and then there's a season when they are responsive. Listening is the wrong word. Responsive is the right word. There's a social season. There's a season when the seed doesn't take and you feel like you're wasting your time on people. And to this, Paul says, keep right on going. Keep right on going. In Galatians, he says, don't grow weary in doing good to people because in due time, you're going to reap a harvest if what? If you don't give up, faint, lose heart, grow weary in well-doing. Don't grow weary in well-doing because if you don't quit... Are you going to know that quote? If you don't quit, you win. If you quit, you lose, and if you don't quit, you win. Simple as that. If you don't quit, you win. If you don't quit, you win. If you don't quit, you're going to win. You're going to win if you don't quit. If you don't quit, you win. Which reminds me of a little joke, Uh, quitters never win and winners never quit, but those who never quit and never win, idiots, that's a joke, it's a joke. If you don't quit, you win. So it's a cultural word, the word about seasons, and we're to be faithful when our culture is not responsive, we're to be faithful and we're to tailor our faithfulness in different ways because of that. It's a social word where to invest in people and believe in people and continue to, to, to pour into people even when they're not responding. And it's a personal word. It's a personal word. Meaning, your own soul has seasons. Have you discovered this already, that your own soul has seasons? there's some seasons where it seems like, whoo, firing on all cylinders, baby. Not only am I full of, the, of Jesus, but every, like, I open my Bible and I just like, oh. technicolor, full stereo sound. The, what's the, uh, the, the, that's exactly what I was, oh. the t yeah the lucas arts t8 whatever that thing is that they play in the theater and you're like oh yeah it's going now we're going to do it <laughs> and then there's other seasons where you're like uh, you you still hear god i feel like i'm in my room same bible same couch what happened Yeah, what is wrong? And then there's some hard seasons where you're like, okay, I sense the Lord in this, but I'm like, whew, the heat of the sun and the weeds. This is why I don't have a garden. Because the weeds are like, oh, look, he took a break. Let's grow three times as fast as normal. (laughs) What? Who invited you? But if, and it's like that with, with people, we got to be willing to pull the weeds in our own heart, our own behavior, our own attitudes, our own stuff, and with our people that we're responsible for. we got to help them pull their weeds instead of being like, oh, you sinned? I can't believe you sinned. Shame on you. Are you kidding me? People are people. If we're shocked by sin and only tools we have is fear to deal with them, then we're just going to be like unhelpful people who others hide their sin from. Instead of go, I need help with this, can you, and then, you know, and we both together go, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh, that ain't good. Instead of one person going, I'm ashamed of this, and the other one going, I'm ashamed of you. That's not helpful. It's a weed. Everybody gets weeds. Let's pull it out by the root, not mow it, not hide it. Although those people who put down like plastic and newspaper, geniuses. Farming has seasons and faith has seasons. The goal is not no more seasons. That's not the goal. The goal is faithfulness in all seasons. You hear me? Faithfulness in all seasons. And, and the farmer, it doesn't mean being blind to the season. I've already said this, but it means doing the appropriate kind and pace of work. There's some seasons where it's appropriate for you to relax Not push yourself so dang hard because you just came out of harvest season and now you need to take it a little easy or something going to break. Remember the plant that I tried to take indoors a little maple sapling and I put it in a pot and I said, I'm going to save my little maple sapling from the harsh, evil weather patterns. So I brought it in the house and then I started to research it. And what I figured out is it'll grow real fast for three years and then it'll die. Because if it doesn't have the ability to go dormant, it will overtax and kill itself. And in the dormant season, it, does, it looks dead. The leaves, look, the leaves are dead. But it, the tree looks dead. But it's not dead, it's dormant. Sometimes, guys, we're in our room and we're praying and it's springtime. And sometimes, it's the dead of winter. And we're going, I wonder if I'm spiritually alive at all. And the Lord says to me, it's not dead, it's dormant. Go easy on yourself. Well, that's helpful to know. One day I, told my, I was talking to the Lord about my wife, and I said, Lord, I'm just real concerned that her passion... Ugh, don't tell her I said this. She's not here, so I can say what I want. I, I was like, Lord, her, sometimes I feel like her passion for you is just like a little fire that's in danger of getting put out by the storms and whatnot. And he goes, Oh, Tim, you don't understand at all. I said, What do you mean? He said... She's not a little candle in the wind, all fragile. Oh, She's a volcano threatening to erupt at any time. You don't understand that under the surface is an inexhaustible supply of passion and faith in me. You got the whole story backwards. Well, that was helpful to, for me to stop worrying about her so much. Right? He's like, whoa, 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 whoa. That ain't the danger. The danger is not, oh, no, precious little Carrie. The danger is, here comes the kingdom. So pay attention to your soul is what I'm trying to say. There are cultural seasons, there are social seasons, and there are personal seasons, and your responsibility to be faithful in and out of season means paying attention to your soul. Being faithful to Jesus is more than just following biblical principles. Are you with me? Being faithful to Jesus is more, not less. It's more than following biblical principles. We follow biblical principles, but more important than principles is presence. God's spirit, God's voice, God's presence. Principles kind of work most of the time, but God's presence always works. And by works, I mean helps us do God's will. Success is doing God's will. Success is not, they like me. It's doing God's will. Success is not, "Ah, look, the numbers are up. Success is doing God's will. We were faithful. We showed up. We did the right thing. We did it with the motive of love. That's faithfulness. I have more to say. We're going to have to finish with the point on living by the presence Living by the presence means keeping our souls sensitive to God, open to God through the various seasons and changes of life. And that means paying attention to how things are affecting us and making course corrections rather than saying, I'm following the rules. The other day, Katie taught the youth that different things are are sin for different people. In other words, there's things that You're faithful. You can do that. But if I try to do that, I'm sinning. right? Let's take baseball, for example. It's not a sin to play baseball. It's not a sin to watch baseball. It's not a sin to collect baseball cards. Do people still do that? It's not a sin. It's a very boring game and a very long game. It's not my game. I prefer basketball. Do whatever you want. But it's not a sin, unless it is. If your obsession with baseball is dulling your passion for God, then it is. But if it can be done in a way that glorifies God, then it's not. And there's all kinds of things like that. Pay attention to your soul. If getting up at 4 a.m. to pray is, is, is helping your soul connect with Jesus, do it. If it's just making you grumpy all the rest of the day so that you are bearing bad fruit in the afternoon, maybe, maybe, maybe don't do that. Pay attention to your soul. Did you, I, I've modified our revival schedules. We used to do what? Friday nights, Saturday morning, Saturday afternoon, Saturday night, Sunday morning. Everyone go into a coma Sunday night. So grumpy at the kids that you're not even saved but man, did we have good church services that weekend. I'm going, mm, something's wrong here. Maybe we need to chill and do less duration and focus more on applying what we've learned and walking in the things the Spirit said without thinking that like the longer we meet and the more intense the motion is in the moment, the more we got it. It's like, pace yourself, but pay attention to your soul. Some things might be sin for you that are not sin for the people around you. Holiness is about relationship with Jesus. And whatever helps you connect with him better and walk with him with more freedom, with more peace, with more hope, with more joy, that's, what, that's the goal here. Arrange your life so that you are experiencing f- like peace, hope, and joy in Jesus. So, if you come to me and you're like, My kids are a disaster. My wife's a disaster. My boss is a disaster. You know, my first point of attack is not going to be your boss, not going to be your wife, not going to be your kids. It's going to be me saying to you, Arrange your life so that you are experiencing abundant life, hope, and peace. I could put the word joy in there in Jesus. And you go, But I can't because of my wife, my boss. And my kids. And I go, now we're going to have a conversation about blame shifting and how until you learn to take responsibility for what's coming out of you, you will continue to fail. Is Jesus enough? Can he define me? Then why is what he says speaking quieter? than life. It's because of what I'm giving my heart to, my attention to, my mind to, what I'm listening to. Attention is huge. You know, you you, you and I are physically made of what we eat. That's not some sort of slogan, that's a fact. The cells of my body are made of the food I put into my mouth and chew up, swallow. Digest, break down with strong acids, send through my intestines, absorb more nutrients, poop out into the sewers. That becomes me. That's what I'm made of, physically. And the things I put before my mind make up my soul. I, I, you know? I just am like, my friend Jim, I'm, I'm really trying to finish, it's 1201. My friend Jim, in the, in his very worn-out Bible, there's a psalm that says, I will set no vile thing before my eyes. I will walk in my house with an upright heart. And I remember, this was nine, 1997. Way back in the day, I remember we were driving Model T's. Horses were still around, but... The electric light bulb was still making inroads into the low parts of the country. That's not true. <laughs> we did have the fresh Prince of Bel Air. <laughs> and Saved by the Bell. Yep. And Family Matters. Uh-huh. And what was, the one, what was the one with Screech? Uh, okay, not Screech. Uh, 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 Urkel. Urkel. Family Matters. Family Matters. Okay, I already said that. Never mind. I guess there was four shows that I watched. I only watched four shows, 60 minutes, bad, bad things happening in the world. Serious men in suits will talk about it on the next 60 minutes. That's what I grew up watching. My friend Jim, I'm fresh out of the world, and I would go to his house, and we would open up the Bible, and we would study, and we would, and then I would try to, okay, that's what the Bible says, that's what I'm going to live. Simple. Guess what? That's still my plan. hasn't changed. I remember in his Bible, it says, I will set no vile thing before my eyes. What is that, Psalm 101, maybe? 110, 101? I can't remember. I will walk in my house with an upright heart. And in the margin, he had pencil drawn in a television set. I told my wife this morning, I said, in 2022, it would be an iPhone. Actually, it might just be the App icons for Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, YouTube. (laughs) True, it says MySpace. Get this mic out of my hand.